Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am Steve Stebbing, and yes, it's been a minute since I had my chat with Jay Baruchel. I hope everyone enjoyed that one. I will be bringing Jay back to the show to get super deep into random acts of violence. So hopefully everybody can check out that movie. So I'm not giving any spoilers because I know Jay and I want to talk everything about that movie anyway. Yeah, it's been uh, as far as world events and everything or in my world events, it's been crazy in the last little bit here in the Okanagan. We had a wildfire that was burning out of control and very close to where I live here. And it was my first one. So it was a real experience. Honestly, everyone in town is kind of used to stuff like this happening. It's me and my family's first wildfire threatening our home. So we were on edge is the easiest way to put it. Definitely a little stressed. And everyone else is like, it's fine. It'll it'll be fine. Everything will be fine. I'm like, you know what? Let me have this. I'm a little freaked out. But we're alive. Uh, we're not part of the evacuation alert zone. So I think the fire is still going, but it's not coming towards us. So that's a win. I'm going to take that as a win. In 2020, where wins seem far and few between, I'll take that one. But as far as 2020 goes, this is a weird week because we are kind of getting back to a weird sort of normalcy when it comes to movies. It's the first big blockbuster week that we've had in a long time. Tenet is out this week. Bill and Ted face the music. I mean, a movie that I personally have been waiting almost 30 years for. That's coming out this week. And then all of a sudden, Disney and what used to be Fox, 20th Century, snuck out The New Mutants, a movie that is supposed to come out two years ago. That's out this week. But most importantly this week, You Cannot Kill David Arquette is out this week. Uh, this is a documentary that follows David Arquette as he uh, at first just wants to dip his toe back into the pro wrestling world. Of course, a world that the fans, for the large points, really hate him because he won the WCW World Heavyweight title in April of 2000. And he's been basically a pariah of the sport ever since. And, you know, I was a wrestling fan then. And I'm a wrestling fan now. I took my break from wrestling. Yeah, circa when WWE started their own brand of ECW. I was like, you know what, guys? I'm out. But I'm so far back in it. I'm so... I am a Marky Mark. I am a Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. We'll say it. That was the stupidest thing I probably ever said on this podcast. So enjoy that one. But it was really fun with this week's podcast is I got to talk with RJ City, who was basically David Arquette's first feud back in wrestling and does it so well and became his tag partner. And as you'll hear in this interview I did with him, he also became his road wife, his handler, the man to keep David Arquette contained and on track was RJ City. And it was a fascinating talk with RJ, uh, who let's preface this right now, because we're going to get into a lot of wrestling talk, a lot of banter and terminology that is prevalent in the wrestling world. But RJ is a heel. A heel is the bad guy. A heel is a guy that you boo. Anytime the music hits and all of a sudden you see the audience and everyone's thumbs down and screaming and, and yelling profanities and wrestlers faces, those are the heels. Those are the bad guys. And he very much plays this persona on Twitter as well. So let's just saying heading into this interview, I was worried. I was a bit worried. I know the man's a professional. I totally get that. But he plays it so well that I was a little scared. So imagine my trepidation when the first thing I have to ask the guy is if we can not do this over a phone call and if we can do this over an app that I can actually record and have better audio quality, maybe. I don't know. So I shakily asked him this and he happily obliged. It was actually a better way for us to record this. So now I present to you my interview with RJ City. 
Now I can use my Yeti. It's so much better. Ah, this is good. I like this. Fantastic. <laughs> I appreciate a good audio. Oh, for sure. Because I, yeah, I use the phone app. I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with Jay Baruchel for his new movie. Yes. And it, it lost it. It was like the greatest interview. And I lost oh, it. Oh, God. And then like trying to read, like he, at least he gave me the graciousness of like, hey, we can record it next week. That's fine. Yeah. You can never reproduce that like lightning in a bottle, you know? Nope. Never. And you have to let that go completely. You have to yeah. basically ignore what you did. <laughs> yeah. It's a real pain in the ass, but thank you for your time, man. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. This is very exciting. <laughs> but I mean, you've seen it. I have seen it. I saw, I oh, watched Lord. it. It's funny. I watched it a few days ago and uh, my wife does podcast editing and she's trying to get her podcast edited and she keeps finding herself drifting and watching the movie with me. Yes. And then by the end, she's like, the credits, hit, she's like, shit, I didn't do anything. I just kept watching this movie because <laughs> it's, it's that it draws you in. And I, I mean, she's half, she's half Mark. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like I've been, I've been able to drag her into wrestling uh, to a certain degree, but like she knows terminology, she knows all that kind of stuff, but she still found herself engaged. And at the end of the movie, I kind of asked myself, I was like, would this have a broad appeal to uh, a complete wrestling layman that's just kind of looking for a human story? And I really think that, that David's story is would draw people in. The, the answer is both yes and no, because in my experience, like straddling both wrestling and entertainment, wrestling mm. is just a dirty word to some people. And <laughs> I, that's fine. Like people won't. There was a, a review in Variety today and you can tell within the first sentence, the guy is not a wrestling fan and he does not care for <laughs> it, period. Just the concept of it. Right. Yeah. Fine. Because you know what? There is a lot of bad wrestling out there and there is a lot of just mindless violence without a backstory. And like, I get that. I apologize for those kinds of things all the time. How many times do you, you know, you try to try to watch wrestling with your wife and it's just the dumbest thing you've ever seen. Oh, there's been embarrassing moments uh, for a long time. Like yeah. when, of course, when WWE reverts back to its to its worst tricks, uh, when you definitely feel the hands of a seventy five year old man on it, it feels yes. embarrassing to even like be like, "Hey, I like this." Yeah, yep. It's so it's a constant uh, struggle. They're the most um, self abusive fans, I think. <laughs> yes, that we I constantly can... hope for the best, despite yeah. the reality. You know, as, 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 you know, as active as you are on Twitter, I can only imagine the abuse that, that you take from a quote unquote fans and, and, and marks and smarks and all, all the different terminology for them uh, on a daily level. Yeah. You know what? I try to just preempt it and shit on myself. <laughs> I feel like that's always the easier. And they're just like, it's just like, look, guys, I know this is stupid. So, like, let's all calm down, please. I always feel like the people who get hurt the most are the people who take it the most seriously. That, like, let me protect myself here. Go to that gif of the guy going, it's still real to me, damn it. Yes, really. The weirdest, <laughs> the weirdest guy and, like, this odd minor celebrity who somehow thinks he has, like, you know, of like, of course he has a podcast. Oh, for sure. We all do. We all yeah. do our thing. Once we get to a certain point and we have a certain opinion, we all we all get podcasts. It needs to be heard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I got so, so for a wrestling layman to get into all of this, uh, like when especially when you come into the movie, um, I was like, oh, there's RJ City, and then all of a sudden I'm like, and there's David being waxed and spray tanned, and his junk's in a bag. And I was like, I'm just just getting to reacting to the RJs in the movie, and like that's the scene right after yours. It's jarring. I will say that. It's. I think the whole movie's jarring. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think there's one comfortable moment in the film to me, and nor was there really one comfortable moment in my experience with it. <laughs> He's always very, very much a toddler that may walk into traffic. And that's that's what's so interesting uh, to to glean from this movie because 
uh, we see his personas. We, I mean, we see Dewey. We see even like the stoner character he is in one of my favorite movies, Ravenous. Uh, he like yes. he's a straight up weirdo, and you're like, oh, I, you know, this has got to be some kind of actor. Like, and then after this movie, you're like, no, that's that's David, and it's it's level at this at, at the same time. It's also like concerning because you're like, how does his wife put up with them? You know. Well, like I, I do end up relating to her a lot and we do bond a lot because for intense, you know, I wrestled with him and then we teamed a lot of different places. Our last matches together were in January, right before the pandemic. And we were going to even wrestle again. So we've been doing it for a while and I have really become in a sense, his road wife. <laughs> and you have to, you know, we have to be out of the hotel at this time and then we're going to have to eat and then we're going to, you know, whatever. And he's, he's someone who really, leads with his heart mm -hmm. uh i lead with my head because i don't want to get my heart broken <laughs> and and that's the laurel and hardy of us that's a perfect um, way to describe it as it, when we teamed you know i don't know i don't know if, if you know this uh, well obviously you know about his his brothers and sisters but his mm -hmm. father was lewis arquette who was a character mm -hmm. actor he was in a lot of stuff his grandfather was charlie weaver uh, who was on Hollywood Squares and, you know, mm -hmm. an old comedian radio. His uh, great-grandparents were in the, the Yiddish theater, vaudeville. It's amazing. And here's, okay, here's my nerdiest film fact about the Arquettes. There is a, you, do you know the movie Waiting for Guffman? Yeah, oh, yes, yes. Okay, there's a scene where Eugene Levy is talking about his family. My grandfather was in the Yiddish theater. He did the schmibbick dibbick. I said, more ham. And when he says that, they cut to this photo, which looks like a still from a Yiddish theater play. That is actually David Arquette's grandparents. No fucking way. That's a real photo. Because Louis Arquette <laughs> is in that movie. Yeah. And he gave them the picture. And I saw it in his house, because I'm a comedy nerd, especially about stuff like that. I saw mm -hmm. it in his house, and I flipped out. <laughs> I, I said, weird, because I knew, I was like, this. He's like, oh, yeah, it's my parents. I'm like, no, no. Where have I seen this? Because this, I know, like, this is in the back of my head somewhere. And it's just, it's so funny how normal acting is to them. It's like a family of plumbers. <laughs> you know, they're just like, this is what we do. And that's it. But so he always had a strong connection to his, to his father, his grandfather, his mm -hmm. great grandparents. And so do I, in the sense that I look at wrestling as that perhaps last vestige of vaudeville. <laughs> <laughs> and when we teamed together, which was really the, the reason we started teaming together, because he, if you could, as you've seen, every match he has, he usually gets horribly injured. <laughs> and the, the question was, well, how do, you know, he agreed to do certain matches. How do we get through it? And it was his, we had thrown an idea of teaming before. And I said, he's like, can you get me through this? And I said, well, what if we do a thing where, you know, I don't want to do this. I've backed into this horrible deal for some reason. And I spend most of the time yelling at you and not letting you do stuff. <laughs> let's, you know, let's build that in. That's now, you know, the reality has now become part of the story. And we developed this a Laurel and Hardy relationship where um, I'm an idiot who thinks I'm a genius and he's a genius who thinks he's an idiot. <laughs> and no matter how hard... I try to stifle him and to not let him have any joy wrestling. He just stumbles into having an amazing time and winning despite my best efforts. And it's, it, you know, it's my own personal hell. And the other, the other film relationship I liked it to was Clifford, Charles Grodin and Martin Short. Yes. Cause it's, it's really what it's like. And it's so bizarre. And it's really one of those only in wrestling things that, uh, I would basically be a father figure to a 47-year-old man. Amazing. <laughs> Nowhere else in, you know, in the world. And I really have to, you know, because wrestling is not real life. It's a life unto itself. And you have to drop everything you knew about life in order to wrestle. <laughs> and like he's got so he's got so much stigma with so many of those wrestling fans because of what transpired in 2000 of him winning the wcw world heavyweight title which a lot of people are contribute that to like kind of the 
the fall of the popularity of wrestling. Which is which is so first of all un untrue because if you know WCW at that time, there were a million other substantial problems, and they were on a nosedive trajectory anyway. He yeah. just happened to be really the the big face of one of those decisions. And before we wrestled, like the night before we wrestled, we watched Ready to Rumble together. <laughs> and he had to rent it, which is the best part. I was just <laughs> dying that he couldn't find I was like, you don't have this for free. And I remember <laughs> watching the movie together. And then at the end of it, you know, I realized he's not the main actor wrestler in it. You know, mm -hmm. Oliver Platt is. Even uh, Scott Kahn wrestles more in the movie than David. And I said, why did they ask you to do this? Because you're not the star of this movie. And he said, I, I think I was the only guy who would have said yes. Yeah. And in a nutshell, that's kind of his life, which is both good and bad. But like, even in the movie to see like those two guys at the convention in the booth that are like still like holding this grudge. And like, that's the thing about a lot of wrestling fans is they all hold these crazy, insane grudges that they wouldn't probably even hold in their own families. But these, these, these fake people, fake fighting, they just have all this venom and animosity too. It's just, it's an insane mental illness, like at the end of the day. You know, I once had a 12 year old kid in the front row spit in my face. <laughs> straight in the face and i remember you know looking around all mad and then it was him and it's like you're not gonna hit a 12 year old right thank god and i just remember i was it was so awestruck because i was like what did i do like is this a compliment in a sense <laughs> that i've caused this person to get so lost in this moment or is this just the result of poor parenting the answer is probably <laughs> both you know um but that's where I had to start with David. He was much maligned, mm -hmm. <laughs> obviously. And having his first public match, my goal was basically, how do you get this guy who was hated and completely written off as he should have been because he, he was a champion and never really wrestled. Mm -hmm. How do you get him to now be loved <laughs> by the same people who really hated him? And the the answer, as it always is the way in wrestling, is for me to be a worse person than he is in almost every single way. And it's it started naturally. I don't know if you've read it's pinned to the top of my Twitter. It's a collection of tweets about how the whole feud started. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I kind of saw it in real time. <laughs> all that happened before I knew he was even making a documentary. He had followed me. We were talking. And you, as you can see, I'm a bit of a miscreant on t Twitter. So <laughs> I, I decided to have fun with them and call him out and, you know, just joke around. And then it turned into this whole thing. And I had no idea that he was working on this or he was preparing to do this. And he was just kind of dipping his toe into the pool, too, say, saying, <laughs> what's going on? I've been talking to these guys. I don't know what's going to happen, who I'm going to wrestle. And then uh, we we finally met in New Orleans. and. I came on board. I was kind of just really giving my opinion on things. I was a consultant in a sense. And then what we were doing was taking off. But he was like, no, we're going to we're going to do this. Here's the date in Hollywood, which gave him, you know, so little time to actually train. Mm -hmm. I thought, like, let's say set a date a year from now. Then we could build it and turn it into this whole thing. And we had offers from different companies on TV to do, you know, whatever. And he was like, no, no, we I want to do it like this. We're going to pick this date and whatever. I'm like, are you sure? Like, you don't know how to wrestle. <laughs> uh, so it was incredibly rushed in that sense. And then you see the scene before mine when he's in, in Tijuana. Mm -hmm. He ended up with, that was literally days before we wrestled. And he ended up with three fractured ribs. <laughs> so... You know, I get to his house going like, hey, let's this will be great. And I his wife is like, oh, he's just getting home from Mexico. I'm like, oh, well, then no one told me about that. And then he gets out of the van just, you know, holding his ribs in incredible pain. And I thought, gee, if my job wasn't going to be hard enough already, 
now we're screwed. This guy can't really run. He can't really fall. I mean, he's willing to do it, but he can he can barely stand up. If you've ever had fractured ribs, it's not pleasant and neither is wrestling. So it's a bad recipe. So then my challenge was how do we how do we have this match that's still plausible and, and get what we want out of it? And that, you know, I orchestrated that match and I think it's the full matches on YouTube. It's a match that really has no rope running, um, no traditional wrestling moves in a sense, no like body slam, hip toss, that kind of stuff, because that's all kind of landing on your back stuff. Mm -hmm. Yet, it's, it's still fairly uh, brutal and intense. And, you know, tr we really tried to tell the story to set him on this path of he's going to do this and like, let's get the people behind him. Mm -hmm. Uh, which which I think we ended up doing until, you know, he, of course, just went out and ruined it for himself, which is kind of what he always does. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the whole trajectory of the story is really interesting because it starts out with him just like just wanting to just kind of get back into just the people and 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 get get his face out there again. And then, I mean, right before, right before your stuff, I mean, yeah, that he has that Mexico thing, which he brings confidence like back to himself. But like, arguably, your match, you got him over. Like, that's what it feels like as far as the trajectory of that movie goes. I mean, yeah, of course, he has a part in that, but it's it's really your involvement, your heel involvement with him that really feels like it get, got him to that next pedestal, really. I mean, I would like to think so. The other <laughs> difficult thing with the difference between our match and the Mexico match is the Mexico match, he's under a mask. Mm -hmm. He's a different person. He's playing a role. No one knows him. No one knows his history. With us, he's David Arquette 100%. <laughs> in the headlines on TMZ, when I slapped mm -hmm. him, I didn't slap a guy in a mask. I slapped David Arquette. Amazing. So the reason that that, match is kind of the beginning of the like catharsis is because he's bringing all the baggage of his life into this match and here's this guy who said i watched all your films i think you're not a good actor either <laughs> you know <laughs> you're bad i'm telling you you're bad all these youtube videos i'm telling him he's just horrible at everything and he's got his wife in the third row and his daughter in the third row who had never met me before the first time she met me i'm on the mic insulting her father and, you know, I'm saying, let's do this. We're on TMZ doing this, you know, whole animosity thing. I was honestly incredibly uh, brutal to him, something I don't regret because it had a purpose. And that was, and, you know, in the beginning of that, he had this idea that he, he was going to have kind of gimmicks, different gimmicks. You see mm -hmm. him try to be a magic guy. In ours, <laughs> he's wearing kind of a King David outfit. And he he originally wanted to, for our match, paint his whole body white, like wow. a statue of David, and wanted to have gold <laughs> hair and blah blah blah. And I said, David, this is not this is not about being someone else. Like these people don't want to see a character. Like you're the character. This is, mm -hmm. and that's the crazy thing. That's when you have to accept your reality as now part of a play. <laughs> You know, like weird, right? And my my favorite thing ever, or my favorite moment was, and I told him that he looked at, at Christine and his wife and he said, honey, cancel the airbrush appointment. <laughs> and it's a look on her face because she clearly went to great pains to find people that would spray paint yeah. this man's whole body. And right. you're dealing with the reality of yourself. And the things we did in that match, like the you know, he's making mistakes. He comes out on that pedestal, which to be bluntly poetic, I immediately knock him off a pedestal. <laughs> you know, he goes flying. I hit him with his own belt. You know, I'm using his own stuff. All the pageantry stuff, I'm literally stripping away from him and beating him with. And then the first move he hits is, of course, the diamond cutter, which he would naturally learn from DDP. <laughs> And, you know, did use when he did uh, WCW stuff. So it's one of those things you have to look back in his history and and bring that to now. And then he used, I think he used the, the sharpshooter because he loved Sting. Like, there's all these little callbacks to what he would know if this was legitimate, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then there's that real 
showman element where I, I piss him off to the point where it's it's not about wrestling. It's now a fight. And I kind of had to bring it to that that scrappy level for him to show that off. Right. Uh, when we get into basically a lot of uh, punching, slapping, and hitting each other in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I mean, it's, it's some of the, the things I love about wrestling is when a story is told largely comedically, but it feels like it still has a character building level to it. And well, that match really has that. To, uh, to me, wrestling is comedy. Only mm -hmm. every punchline ends in violence. <laughs> it's, rhythmically, it, it is so Three Stooges. Whether you're, whether it is funny or not, to me, it is comedy. Mm -hmm. That rhythm is there. The reactions are there. The, the up and down. And some of my favorite comedies uh, are, you know, something like The King of Comedy, <laughs> which is not really a comedy at all. Mm -hmm. it's terribly tragic and then there are some funny moments and so i always looked at wrestling as having the same possibilities i also mm -hmm. think in a sense and i know obviously the wrestling community is going to be heavily involved in and watching this and supporting it it's almost mm -hmm. unfair to call this a wrestling documentary it's really a you know a documentary about david and his life but he's told it through the canvas of wrestling yeah yeah like beyond the mat is a wrestling documentary right like it's not like 8 a.m we're driving to chicago and we're you know that kind of thing it's very here's my pain and yeah. here's how i'm dealing with it the same way a painter would or mm -hmm. a ballerina would mm -hmm. and it's got that weirdness to it and i thought you know I thought it was originally going to be a wrestling documentary and it, it couldn't be because his, you know, full heart and soul was in it. <laughs> he really bared his soul in, in doing all of that, which was not something I'd be willing to do. Yeah. It, it, it's like an off kilter story of redemption, but just within David's microcosm is kind of what, what I took from it. Cause I mean, like that transition where they're like, he quit smoking. He started working out like, like he started taking this really seriously. And it, it, it became not just the heart, but the muscle in him as well. Like it became like getting realigned. And then, right. I mean, having the tragedy uh, of his best friend passing away in the whole process. Yeah. Just, it, it just adds another just defect to the armor and everything that he has to get over and he has to the shoulder. And it, uh, the movie comes across very emotionally, and I, I, I definitely felt that feeling, and I, I don't think that's that's because I'm a wrestling fan. I think that's just because I'm a fan of watching the human story. Take yes, care. this was a trust fall <laughs> for him into a world he didn't really know. He liked it. He was familiar with it, but he didn't he didn't know it and it's a level of he has a level of openness that makes me incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> of just really saying yes and figuring it out as we go yeah. and it's 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 still baffling to me that you know he went looking for respect in the most disrespectful industry i've ever seen <laughs> and you go you know at, at what point do you get it at what point is it enough? And at what point do you get it from yourself? Mm -hmm. So there's those interesting questions. I don't think he has necessarily found the answer. I don't think we'll, any of us will find the answer, but I think we get a lot closer to it. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, speaking of, of pain and probably less comedy in the ring, Nick Gage, this, yeah. this match that he has with Nick Gage, how like how does this come about and like like does he come to you and be like what do I do here like uh, I mean this 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 is psycho stuff you know yeah it came about I think pretty I mean I was not I was not involved with it it came about pretty quickly in LA and I don't think he was supposed to have another match and the Gage was supposed to have another match and I think there was two either cancellations or injuries and. There were two openings and they decided to pair them together really quickly. I don't even think the documentary crew is supposed to be there for this show. Cause also, and that's another thing that, 
you can't it's so hard to capture in this documentary mm-hmm. because you know they did shoot it over two years and it is about his mm-hmm. life but he was really on the ground level of this and he did a lot of wrestling not for the documentary um a lot of stuff that people did not see unless they were at a show or it's on youtube or whatever and he would show up at shows and i'd be like where's the documentary he's like no no i just i want to wrestle i'm like are you out of your mind <laughs> why are you doing this you there, there was you, you, you know you could have faked this <laughs> just letting you know yeah um but that that happened very last minute and then i think um the, one of the directors, David Darg, I think was just in LA and it all, they all ended up coming to whatever. And then this, this miracle of violence, <laughs> um, you know, look, wrestling is highly dangerous, period. Mm-hmm. I try to be as safe as possible and I still gave him a horrible black eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the reality of it, right? All the time. And when you add weapons that are not a movie props, the, the light tube was a real light tube. I always say for something that's fake, wrestling could be a lot more fake. <laughs> we could have really went out of our way here. They're not, I mean, they're not props. I no. did I did a wrestling episode of uh, Murdoch Mysteries a couple of years ago. And they had a, a wooden chair, but it was made of foam rubber. And I thought, gee, that's a great idea. <laughs> Has anyone told the wrestling industry about this? This may change the game. And that's just not the way it's done. So there's a high degree of risk. It's not choreographed. Mm -hmm. A lot can go wrong. And he's lucky more didn't go wrong. (laughs) Really. And it's one of those things where, and it's very hard to say, oh, I'm a wrestler now. Mm -hmm. Because even if you train, and even if you have one good match, it's like having one good stand-up set. It means nothing. (laughs) You got to string a lot of hits together consistently before you can say I'm a wrestler and I'm a good wrestler. Like I'm not a good wrestler and I've been doing it for years. It's hard and it takes a lot of time. So you were seeing someone with, you know, maybe 10 matches experience getting in there and in that element. And then, you know, that, that was just one of those moments of, I, I I don't know. My heart stops every time I watch. Like I saw it mm. once, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm good. <laughs> I don't want to like, but that feeling kind of s- still sticks with me. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for people sometimes to under like the line is blurred so many times. It's hard for people to accept something like that is even yeah. real because they're so conditioned to see somebody fall on their head and be like, and then get up and be like, I'm fine. Um. So it's almost like he went so deep. He almost became the boy who cried wolf in a sense, you know, where he did so much literally death defying stuff Mm -hmm. that now you're actually, you're, you know, you're an inch away from dying with with the the artery in your neck and people still think it's part of the show. And yet it is also part of the show. Your, your real blood is part of the show. And he, you know, left in a panic and then got back in the ring. Like, yep. what a fucking trajectory that was. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I knew I, I knew about the match. I knew how it came out and all that stuff. But my wife didn't. And mm-hmm. so to watch her react to it. And she's not good with blood or anything. So, of course, she's like uh, looking away. But she want, she's just amazed that he got out of the ring and then went back and like went for the finish and everything, which is, yeah, it, it's crazy. And it, it's interesting because it's kind of like foreshadowed with him going to the backyard with those guys and then beating the shit out of him in the backyard, light tubes and tacks and everything. And it's just like, it was like almost like this is this is your precursor to this insane match you're going to have, which yeah, there's so much about this movie that has like that poetry to it that you're almost like well i mean this all feels like it's almost could be scripted but it this is the real life at the same time yeah it kind of just you know he figures it out as he goes i know he didn't really have a plan (laughs) for any of this you know you have certain goals and he wants to do stuff and there were especially when we started the feud on Twitter, there were so many people who jumped on it. And it was like, maybe if we do this, maybe if we do this. And they was like, Hey, let's sit and maybe talk strategy and how we can do this and whatever. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when I wrestled him, I, I didn't think he would wrestle again because he already had three fractured ribs. <laughs> and now I've given him a black eye. 
<laughs> and you're lo- like, you're lucky you made it out that like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, hey, you know, maybe he would say this isn't for me. But yeah. then but then he went deeper <laughs> and he kept doing it. And he's, uh, you know, he really got the itch. <laughs> and well, it is a, a thing that's always difficult to fully mm-hmm. figure out. And he's always almost there, but not quite. And I think that's also what keeps people wrestling for so long is because mm-hmm. it is so hard to master it. But and I know the the pandemic kind of slowed momentum for everybody. Like just everybody's been out of work for so long, and yeah. What do you think that Davis' trajectory in the industry is beyond this now? In the wrestling industry, yeah. Where do you think the focus is there? I mean, the the wrestling industry has completely changed, especially at the independent level, which is you know where he was doing stuff. And I, I, I really, I really think so much of the joy for him was based on interacting with that crowd, mm-hmm. uh, especially in a way that you can't even get in theater. I always liken it to wrestling is like a play, but the audience is within the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. They're part of the show. And without them, like, it is just not the same. <laughs> it's really not. I mean, there's so, you just, when you're out there and it's like good stand-up and I do comedy too. And that industry is, has evaporated in basically the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really don't know. I don't know how his, you know, body will hold up. I don't know what he's ready to do. Now I think it's a lot to kind of get back on that horse. I mean, it's going to be a lot for me. My last match was like six months ago. Um, it just evaporated. We were supposed to do, our next match was supposed to be at South by Southwest. We we're going to wrestle after the premiere of the movie. Oh, And that was, South by Southwest was really like the first major event that was canceled. Okay. Uh, when, you know, everything, then it was like, boom, 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 boom. And it's, it's, yeah, it's just so unusual. I don't know what his role will be because I don't know what the, what shape the industry will take. But in terms of like, if it all ends today in terms of his legacy, he has bizarrely found himself a really remarkable place. He didn't get there in a smooth way. Um, But I, I think people will look back on this and I know personally seeing him interact with people and wrestlers and, the respect he showed stuff, which was so unnecessary. He could have just showed up and done a couple things and it would have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, the the openness and the commitment he gave and wanting to do right by the business in general, both the fans and the wrestlers and the history of it. He has a great reverence for that. And I think he was also in a roundabout way able to pay tribute to his family and his grandfather and that whole history of odd performers. Mm-hmm. It, it fits so bizarrely well. Like the documentary is incredibly weird, but so is his life and his whole family. <laughs> he even says it. I'm a carny. He says uh, it. A hundred percent. He, you know, that family is the circus. And I mean that in the best way. Yeah. Well, even like even Patricia and Rosanna, they say in the like, I don't understand this. I don't get it. I, I'm totally not into it. But it's what David wants to do. So I support it because it's what David wants to do. You know, his family has they've always been supportive, whether it's been, you know, with uh, Alexis or weird stuff that, did, you know, mm-hmm. David constantly did. <laughs> and they're there. They're really like my relationship with him. He he really showed me the definition of just like unconditional love and support, which was a certainly a foreign concept to me. Uh, he's someone who who really you know transcends the idiocy of life to to love it, which makes me both uh, touched and confused. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I, I mean, I, I've been a fan uh, of David for for years and years and years. Ever like, because I'm just like a massive movie buff, uh, and like I, I mean, I, like I said on Twitter earlier today, The Tripper. That movie is so much fun, and he's directed it. He made it. Like, so fun fact about the documentary in relation to The Tripper 
The Tripper is, I will admit, as much as I don't want to, a great movie by David Arquette. <laughs> and uh, it has a great role uh, for Paul Rubens, who's so Kiwi Herman. So good. Uh, we are both friends with him. Oh, my God. In separate ways, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, we didn't know. And that was like a very kismet. And I was like, hey, are you friends with He's like, yeah, are you? And then it was all like, whatever. And Paul came to uh, that match to watch us. Amazing. That Hollywood match, which was like, of course, like, let's add a little more garnish on this weirdness. Um, <laughs> it's so it's so perfect. And then you can see, I mean, if you if you look at him and you see the parallels of his life and being being Pee Wee in real life, uh, you know, going out in public like red carpet premieres as Pee Wee or whatever. That's that's a real element of wrestling. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of. David's life that intersected in the matches he had. That was amazing. So, <laughs> so yeah, amazing. it never it never stops being weird. <laughs> That's so awesome. Well, I know I have I've kept you here for over half an hour, and I uh, said Kate only that I would only keep it's, you for half an oh, hour. I'm fine. Whatever. I'm happy to keep talking. Do whatever's on your list. Don't worry okay. about it. Well, now I want to get into some RJ centric stuff here. Okay. Okay, so RJ makes coffee in his underwear. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Thank I, I, you. I, I, I adore it. It's fucking great. That last Danhausen episode, I put it on because my kid has now become obsessed with Danhausen, even though she doesn't really know who he is. What a human muppet he is! Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and it just it just slays me. But I mean, you have so many episodes in the bank and everything. What was what's what's your favorite episode that you've done, or the one that means the most to you that you've done? You know what? I did one with Mario Cantone. <laughs> uh, Tony nominated Mario Cantone. And like most weirdness in my life, I met him on Twitter. <laughs> I had I think I liked one of his tweets. And if you see my tweets, I tweet a lot about uh, obscure old Hollywood stuff, <laughs> old Broadway stuff. And we, you know, immediately hit it off. And he was like, when you're in, next time you're in New York and blah, 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 like hang out and meet up. And, and we did. And then we met for um, Espresso. I, I think I came over. I had to, I was doing a radio interview or something in his neighborhood. And I came by and he was like, uh, oh, do you want an espresso or a cappuccino or whatever? I said, gee, if I known, I would have brought my camera and we could have done. And he said, you know what? Let's do it. And I dropped my pants as I often do. <laughs> and we are cramped in his classic cramped New York kitchen. And it's just one of the most wonderful, like I'm so happy to have him. And it was so nice of him because he's just definitely seems like a guy who has no problem saying no, if he doesn't want to do something. It was so incredibly sweet of him. And he's one of those people who are like, you know, if I want to talk about Madeline Kahn, nobody my age knows who I'm talking about. And then he's like, mm -hmm. I worked with Madeline Kahn. I was like, oh, my God. So to be able to do that, and then in January, we did Steve Austin. And I can't think of another show that has had both Mario Cantone and Steve yeah. Austin. That is a, that's broad right there. Yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're a broad net casting right there. I'm really going for it. Oh, my God. Madeline Kahn, I mean one of my first like comedy like my dad showed me young frankenstein at a very young age yeah and just i i was obsessed with madeline Kahn and terry gar from for years after that like among There's my first crushes along with like of course princess leia and you know robin wright and 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 you know the usuals right the but, usual yes yeah but like funny ladies oh man Absolutely. Yeah, but dangerously talented, and that's what made them so funny. Like they chose to be funny because they could do pretty much anything they wanted. Well, at, at so at a at a point to try to not to overlap questions, which probably other people have asked you, I have to ask you about Ron Funches. Yes, <laughs> because this feels this build feels not not exactly, but it feels like a, a build towards something. Well, I um, we just did a, a thing on Busted Open Radio, the the wrestling show mm -hmm. on, on Sirius. I hosted a match game thing, and he's been on match game. And I think, I think I get my backup around um, very nice or positive people. <laughs> <laughs> the same reason I'm suspicious of Betty White is why I'm suspicious of 
Ron Funches. I just go, no one's that happy. What's the real story? That's just my disposition. And I think it's now evolved into us taking shots at each other. And I don't know where that will go, really. It's not certainly not my uh, first celebrity encounter on, on Twitter. And it probably won't be my last. I unfortunately have never heard back from Vicky Lawrence, despite me tweeting her incessantly. Um, I've also been blocked by Trump on Twitter. Uh, Good. I, Thank you. I, I I'm envious of that because uh you know full full I don't even care swear on this one. Fuck that dude. <laughs> um, like, it, that was a, obviously a weird surreal experience. So after that, none of the other celebrity encounters are, to me are that weird. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting, and I kind of like it in a uh, I don't won't want to say sexual way, but I struggled to find another word. To see a little bit of aggression out of Ron Funches. Yeah. I and seem to have get, gotten under his skin all of a sudden. And I go, oh, perhaps there is more there. I, I feel like you're not going to get an invite to to uh, getting better with Ron Funches. I don't, I'm going to do my own show called Getting Worse. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's fucking perfect. <laughs> so it's very, and also I you know, kind of straddle the world of comedy too. So I think there is perhaps a bit of a humor measuring contest going on as well. So <laughs> there are a lot of elements coming into play. I just, I just hope he decides not to wrestle. <laughs> well, I'm going to dwindle off to two kind of superficial, almost questions here. Yes. Just to finish it off. Uh, I know that you're a big golden girls fan. Yes. More, more so to be fair, be Arthur. Yes. So yes. you're a Dorothy, I mean, which explains your distrust of Rose. Yes. You're the Dorothy guy. Do you see that the house was for sale for three million bucks? Not only that, <laughs> you know, David didn't see it and he was like, oh my God, I should have bought it. <laughs> oh my God. He just, they, they just started uh, doing, um, making pictures, doing, built a little studio in Arkansas and like Nashville, David and his wife, Christina and... I was like, come on, we could have just bought this and you could have filmed everything in this house. And the weird thing about that house is that the, the kitchen in that house is way nicer than the kitchen on the Golden Girls. Yeah, it looks it was excellent. And it just sold. And I'm upset about it. Uh, <laughs> however, we have certain ins, one of our ins. And if you don't follow her, I assume I look, I'm going to assume a lot of film nerdy Buffy people listen to this podcast. Mm hmm. I would hope so. Her name, her name is Allison Martino. Okay. And she's Al Martino's daughter. Al Martino being Johnny Fontaine and the Godfather. Yes. She's really become an old Hollywood, old LA historian. And she has access to everybody and knows the estate sales and has just everything. And she is our, if we ever need something, if we ever want a Jerry Lewis pen or something like that, <laughs> we, we go to her. So she's always on the lookout. I'm trying to get a pair of Charles Nelson Riley's actual glasses. That's like my holy grail. And I'm like, listen, you ever hear any rumbling, <laughs> you let me know. <laughs> That's awesome. Now I'm going to finish off and I'm going to ask you about a movie called Monster Brawl. <laughs> yes, you, yes, you are. I would recommend if you overdose on prescription medication, this is the movie for you. <laughs> but it's like Canadian royalty at the top. I mean, Dave Foley was in this. Art Hendel was in this. Like, what? Yeah. So so the, the, the premise is basically classic monsters wrestling. It's basically a paper, wrestling pay-per-view of classic monsters. So Dave Foley, which was unreal, Art Hendel, uh, Kevin Nash, Robert Robert Maia, who's obviously was used to be a wrestler, but has been in many Guillermo del Toro films. Uh, he was uh, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. Yes, yeah. Jimmy Hart. Oh my god! Uh, which was just—it was so so unreal. And then I think it was narrated by Lance Henriksen, <laughs> which is horror royalty right there. Yeah, yeah. It was just that was a real surreal experience to to wrestle with those people and then get to know them. And then the film is just, you know, consistent weirdness. <laughs> it's, it, it plays like it sounds. 
yeah, it's genre shit, man. And and yeah. I like I I as as well as a large audience just eat that shit up so easily. Like yeah. it's it's just that type of stuff. Yeah, and and me and uh, Kevin Nash, that was the beginning of our friendship. And we've done a number of wrestling shows since. And we always keep in touch, and we always like talking about Cesar Romero. Ah, oh, nice. So, uh, Kevin Nash, it's sometimes when you speak in those old Hollywood terms and you drop certain names, it's like a password to get into this odd club of people who only want to talk about that kind of thing. That's awesome. It's almost like Kevin Nash could have told David about the wizard gimmick not being the greatest. Yeah, yeah, he could have gave him a, you know, he, he was a harbinger <laughs> of mixing movies in WCW and what a bad idea that is. Now, that was so much fun for me to do. I hope it was just as fun to listen to as it was for me to record, because honestly, I could have talked to RJ for hours and hours. I, the thing is, when I when I do these interviews and I only supposed to get, say, a half an hour or 10 minutes or 15 minutes, I always feel like a guilt that I'm keeping them too long, that I'm invading their space. And I'm a Virgo. I just think about that stuff way too much. And I, I get up and, and how everybody else is feeling and it just gets into my own brain. But RJ was such a gracious guest and he was so open to talk about everything. And yes, I found out about Monster Brawl like 15 minutes before I did that episode. And... I feel enlightened for it. But I mean, there's so much to recommend uh, with this episode. You Cannot Kill David Arquette is such an incredible film. I'm not just blowing smoke up RJ's ass. This is such a great film. So well done. It's such an interesting human story about a guy that you think you know a bit just from all the zany characters he plays in movies. David Arquette really is that kind of dude he really is that untethered big kid type of guy and you kind of love him for it but at the same time you're kind of worried for him at the same time i'm not lying about that that's how i felt watching this movie but i honestly thought that this is one of my favorite movies of the year I believe the last time I saw this, it was trending at like a high 90s on Rotten Tomatoes and deservedly so. Please check this one out on VOD. You will not be disappointed. It is a great movie. Again, I want to thank RJ City for joining me for this episode. You can follow him on Twitter and please do follow him on Twitter because you will not be disappointed at RJ City one. He's one of my favorite follows, honestly, and also subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, RJ City as well, where you can watch RJ City makes coffee in his underwear. Really, really, really good stuff. Uh, like I brought up, the Danhausen episode is really funny. The Stone Cold episode is great. And yes, the Mario Cantone episode is his favorite episode. So watch that one as well. Uh, you can find me at the Steve Dead on Twitter and on Instagram. Of course, the website is stevestebbing.ca. And you can hear me on the shift every week on the Chorus Radio Network at 11 p.m. Pacific, which is like uh, like 2 o'clock in the morning in Toronto time. But I love my spot there. I'm bouncing back and forth between guest hosts right now, Shane Hewitt and Eric Chapman. Always fun talking to those guys. Again, I'm going to keep this way more regular than I have been. Thank you, everybody, for checking out this episode, and we'll catch you next time. 